This is Kingdom's Cornerstone News. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Jamie Kiever. Today is Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our website, kcn.dekeeve.com. As you probably know, we publish on many platforms, including Anchor.fm and Spotify, but because of the content topics we're talking about, it's very likely we'll be censored by big tech. It's already happened once. Somehow these big, fat social media companies have become the arbiters of truth. Well, I've made it very difficult for anyone to censor the main website, kcn.dekeeve.com, so please tune in there if you can. I had to pause the show for two weeks due to a death in the family. Picking it back up today, trying to decide what topics to discuss and which ones to pass on, well, it's a bit overwhelming for me. I see what's happening to our government, what's happening in other countries by other governments, and it's more evident than ever to me these are very dark times we're in, and I don't have a lot of hope things are going to get better anytime soon. That being said, I want to remind those watching, many of whom are Christians, that we are not to be afraid. We are not to live in fear. Are these scary times? Yes. But the end is foretold. Nothing escapes our Creator's attention, and our God loves justice, and He's taking names of that much, I'm sure. And I say this because I need to be reminded of this myself at times, times like today, as this is some real hard news to report on. So let's dive in. The Christian Post is reporting the Burmese military fired heavy artillery into the predominantly Christian state of Chin, setting at least 100 homes and two churches on fire. We'll be sure to include a link to this article by thechristianpost.com in the description of this video. The attack was in retaliation after Chin militia shot and killed a Burmese soldier who was breaking into homes and looting properties. The U.S. State Department condemned the Burmese military, calling their actions a gross violation of human rights. U.S.-based persecution watchdog International Christian Concern reported nearly 10,000 residents fled the area as the fire ravaged homes and churches. This next story is a tough one. I'm not sure everyone's going to agree that this is news, but my heart breaks over this, and it just hasn't left me alone since I came across this tweet thread by Brad Geyer, and it's a letter from Nathan DeGrave, one of the Americans arrested for storming the Capitol January 6th. Please. Read this tweet thread for yourself. The link to it is in the description. You need to know what our government is doing to fellow Americans. Guilty or not, isn't, it, isn't every American entitled to due process and fair and confidential legal representation? Well, these nonviolent Americans are still in jail, being physically abused, denied legal counsel, and even congressmen wanting to see the conditions at this facility in D.C. are turned away. According to this tweet thread, these January 6 inmates have broken bones due to beatings by the guards. One man, according to this thread, suffered a broken eye socket and is now blind in one eye. Now, I don't know much about these inmates' personal stories, but I know that their rights as Americans, rights guaranteed by the Constitution and Bill of Rights, are not being honored. But as is so evident in these times, there is free speech, but only for the left. Constitutional rights exist only if it's the liberal left we're talking about. At the end of this tweet thread, Nathan DeGrave asks one thing, to share this with anyone who will listen. Now, you don't have to agree or disagree with the charges in question here. That's not what this is directly about. Our rights as Americans are being grossly infringed upon, and someone needs to account. Please, 
read the tweet, pray for justice, and let other people know what's going on. The Supreme Court signaled Monday they would allow abortion providers to pursue a court challenge to a Texas law that has virtually ended abortion in the nation's second largest state after six weeks of pregnancy. It was unclear, however, how quickly the court would rule and whether it would issue an order blocking the law that has been in effect for two months or require providers to ask a lower court to put the law on hold. Two conservative justices, Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, voted in September to allow the law to take effect. But they raised questions yesterday about its novel structure. The law was written to make it difficult to mount legal challenges, and it subjects clinics, doctors, and others who facilitate an abortion to large financial penalties. The justices heard three hours of arguments yesterday in two cases over whether abortion providers or the Justice Department can mount federal court challenges to the law. The Biden administration filed its lawsuit after the justices voted five to four to refuse a request by providers to keep the law on hold. Three other conservative justices joined Barrett and Kavanaugh in the majority to let the law take effect. Chief Justice John Roberts joined the court's three liberal justices in dissent. Now, one thing I keep hearing out of this Justice Department is that a woman has a constitutional right to abortion. Well, that's absolute garbage. That baby, conceived on American soil, has every constitutional right as anyone else. They're a human being with their own unique DNA, and we all have a constitutional right not to be ripped apart limb by limb. It is a lie the Constitution protects a woman's right to an abortion, and we need to confront it anytime we hear it. Is there precedent? Yes, and it's a terrible precedent, but that is not the same thing as a constitutional right. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Abby Johnson, founder of And Then There Were None, a nonprofit that helps abortion workers leave the abortion industry. You may not realize it, but it could be nearly impossible for people who've worked within the abortion industry to leave, even if they want to. And Then There Were None helps anyone leave the abortion industry, providing a month's worth of income, resume help, and access to a network of employment providers eager to help someone working in the abortion industry quit. To date, we've helped almost 600 abortion workers leave the industry. And while that's amazing, there's a lot more work to do, and we can't do it alone. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to And Then There Were None by going to abortionworker.com. No one grows up wanting to be an abortion worker, and we won't stop until abortion is unthinkable. College campuses are, for many young people, the first taste of freedom and independence moving from their parents' home and influence to college, which arguably can be one of the most liberal environments a young Christian can enter. This makes college campuses among the most important front lines of spiritual warfare for young adults. Christian Student Fellowship is a campus ministry at the University of Kentucky in Lexington. Staff member Brendan Westerfield and senior Lindsey Grass, one of the student leaders at CSF, have both graciously agreed to discuss this topic with us. Lindsey, Brendan, thank you both for calling in. Thank you for having us. Brendan, let's start with you. As a staff member at Christian Student Fellowship, can you tell us about what you and CSF does? Uh, yes. So um, 
on staff here, I am the annual gift officer. So I essentially fundraise for the entire ministry here. Um, you know, we have, I mean, hundreds of students come through every week, really probably around a thousand that come through our ministry every week. So I fundraise for all of our ministry outreach. And then I do donor relations and alumni relations, basically just talking to people about, you know, what we do here on campus and, you know, how God is moving through CSF on UK's campus. And we, I mean, we have events basically every night of the week. Uh, we have got Shift, which is a freshman ministry, Synergy, which is our big worship service. We have Pancakes Friday night at midnight. <laughs> I mean, we do a, a bunch of stuff just to get people involved in community while they're at college. Can you describe the environment students face on college campuses these days? Uh, yes, it's, I mean, as for everyone, this past year and a half has been uh, difficult to say the least. I mean, there's just been so much loneliness, uh, anxiety, depression. Um, we have students dealing with you know suicidal thoughts. Um, and, and really last year was really hard because there was nothing going on on campus. You couldn't do anything. Um, you students were just in their dorm rooms. There was no, you know, in-person classes, everything was online. And so it was really hard. There were multiple students that, you know, we know personally that just went home because they couldn't deal with the loneliness here at UK. And, you know, that doesn't even begin to cover just, you know, what they're being taught here um, on the university campus, which, you know, as soon as they come for their first week, they're being bombarded with all these, all these decisions they need to make, you know, who are you gonna be your friends? Where are you gonna live? What classes are you gonna take? What major are you gonna be? You know, are you gonna join a sorority or fraternity? Um, you know, we, we have classes here at UK that are, you know, Christian history or stuff on the Old Testament or New Testament, and they're actually taught by atheists. Um, or agnostics, and we have a guy that was on staff here with us for over 10 years. He's now a pastor down in Texas, and he said the most challenging part of his faith, you know, so far was a class he took here at UK. Um, this is about Christian history, and it was taught by an atheist, and he said it was the most challenging thing he's ever been through as, a, you know, an 18, 19-year-old going through that and really <laughs> hearing things that just, you know, are not of the Bible being taught as they are from it. And so it's just really difficult and students are, are facing that every day. And how does Christian Student Fellowship help, would you say? Yeah, that's a, I mean, we do a, do a ton of stuff, which uh, I mean, Lindsay, you know, she's just nodding her head here. We, like I said earlier, we have stuff every night of the week. You know, one of the big things we try and do is that first week students come on campus is let them know we're here. And so we, we throw events, um, every day those first 10 days that students are on campus because that's when they're really making the decision of where they're going to spend their time in college you know who are they going to be friends with what are they going to be doing and so we have you know this past you know kickoff week is what we call it. it's the first 10 days that students are on campus we had over 17,000 students come to our events um, which is just a wild number to say out loud but the reason we do that you know we throw big parties have tons of food we serve because we know that if we can't capture them those first 10 days, it's going to be hard um, because they've already made their you know rhythms for what the year looks like. Um, and then once we do that, you know, like I said, we have all of these ministry areas that are just reaching out to campus. Um, we have over 400 students um, involved in weekly Bible studies, which Lindsay actually leads one of them um, that we do. And so we, you know, we have all those students are really trying to not just connect in community with one another, but also introduce them to Jesus and and have them think about Jesus in a, in a real way, because this is when you're making your faith your own. I know for me personally, 
Um, if it wasn't for CSF and just campus ministries, I don't know what I would be doing. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know where I would be. And so it's, it's made a huge impact on my life. And that's what we're trying to do to, to current students as well. Yeah, it's absolutely the same with me. As you know, I am a CSF alumni, and that's how you and I keep in touch. And, um, you know, the path could have been very, very different if CSF hadn't been around. Lindsay, over to you. Would would love to know a little more about you. And would you say your Christian faith is encouraged or discouraged in the university and higher education environment? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say they're kind of neutral on it. For myself, I would say it's not very encouraging just because they don't really point you towards Christianity or like any other religion. Cause honestly, I don't think that they're allowed to, like, I don't think they're allowed to have a say in it. Um, but on the other hand, they do allow for Christian organizations such as CSF to be on campus, which is great. So let's talk about Christian student fellowship a little bit. How did you get involved and what keeps you coming back for more? Yeah, so I started to get involved at the end of my freshman year. And in high school, I went to a Christian high school and like all of schooling, I was at a Christian school, but they didn't really teach, you know, having a personal relationship with Jesus, like walking with him daily. And when I got to college, I wasn't really built on that foundation. But I, a bunch of my roommates were coming to CSF and I was like, okay, like, let's try this out. What's this place? You guys are finding community in it. You're having so much fun. I want to go check this out. You know, I want to be a part of it. So I came and, you know, immediately was welcomed. I went on their spring break trip and like had an encounter with the Lord and was taught, you know, this is what it looks like to walk with God daily. And here's how you can, you know, put that out into your daily life. Here's some community, like you don't have to do this alone. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, you know, we heard from Brendan about all of the things CSF has going on every single day, but I'm curious from your perspective, uh, can you talk about some of the ways CSF works with and encourages students that kind of stick out to you? Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't want to miss anything because there's, there's like so much that CSF does, but starting with the freshmen, there's a huge freshman outreach. They have what's called shift on Mondays where they can just come eat a free meal, and then from there, they can get plugged into a smaller community because, you know, coming and eating with hundreds of people can be overwhelming. So from there, you can get plugged into groups where you kind of meet, you know, you can meet some of your closest friends. Um, and they do the same for upperclassmen. You stay with those groups and it becomes like you're like a little family group that you just kind of move with. Um, they have a great Greek outreach because um, they know that there's such a need for Jesus in that community. Um, so they try and have groups on nights opposite of when a sorority would have a meeting. Um, they also have a great international team, which we love our international team. They don't get talked about enough, but they do such good work and they're constantly trying to find ways to, like reach out to internationals that are on campus. They have them and like they'll eat with them. They'll make food from like different places. It's so cool. And then like Brendan was saying earlier, we have stuff on almost every night of the week. Excellent. Brendan, Lindsay, I want to ask you both before I let you go, what can parents do before they send their kids away to college to help ensure they get involved with the campus ministry? Brendan, you first. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think first and foremost, just, you know, talking to their children uh, about kind of what college is, is going to be like, because it is a 
it is a sh kind of a shock to the system because it's the first time that uh, a lot of these you know students are having freedom. And so I think just talking to them about what it's going to be like, but then also kind of researching different campus ministries that are on that campus. Um, I know for us, we have a ton of students um, when they do their college visit here at UK, they'll come by our building and kind of see um, what it's like, talk to some of our staff members. We can inform them on all the stuff we do. And especially now um, we're in the midst of a, of a building campaign. We're building a new building because we know there's a huge need on this campus to reach more students. And, um, you know, so we're just trying to tell them, hey, this is what's going on. And, uh, you know, love for them to come here because I know for me, um, CSF was a big part of why I kind of stayed at around UK. <laughs> Lindsay, what would you say? Is there anything parents can do to make sure their kids get involved? Yeah, kind of bouncing off of Brendan, I would say definitely talk to them, be honest with them. You know, college is different. It's definitely a shock. But try not to be pushing them towards something if they're unsure about it because that might make them want to turn away from mm. that. You know, all you can do as a parent is just encourage them. And if they don't want to do it right away, like just praying that they'll find their community here. Yeah, I think prayer is a, is yeah, a big part. Just pray, pray for your kids because uh, college is different now, even from 10 years ago when I was here. <laughs> It's way different. Absolutely. Brendan Westerfield, staff member at Christian Student Fellowship, and Lindsey Grass, senior at the University of Kentucky and student leader at Christian Student Fellowship. I want to thank you both for what you do and the impact that you're making in students' lives, and of course for coming on the show. I'd love to keep in touch and talk to both of you again in the future. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Thank you. I recently had the opportunity to visit UK's campus and meet with Brendan and some of the CSF staff and to see just how much Christian Student Fellowship has grown really blows my mind. When I attended the University of Kentucky, CSF had a staff of three. Now they have a staff of 30 and it's just amazing to me to see the plan God had for CSF then, which he's brought to fruition today. One can never really know what the future holds, right? I mean, short of prophecy, but even then, its literal realization is still very much a surprise. One futuristic topic that keeps coming up in Christian circles is digital currency, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. The Gospel Coalition recently published an article on Bitcoin, and folks, I am not going to provide a link to this article in the description. If you want to read it, you'll need to Google it yourself. To my shock, this Christian publication makes the argument that Christians should not invest in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies and makes nothing but secular, secular arguments, wholly inaccurate and blatantly false arguments as to why Christians should stay far, far away. Now, as a publication, I very much appreciate the Gospel Coalition. On more than one occasion, I've reached out to guest authors of articles they've published and had them on the show. The last show's guest, Chloe Fulmer, is a great example. And we've got a guest coming up that I'm real excited about that we found the same way. But on this occasion, I'm left scratching my head. Folks, this newscast, Kingdom's Cornerstone News, is brought to you entirely because of my cryptocurrency investments. I had to pay tens of thousands of dollars to get this newscast started, and there are monthly charges as well. I simply would not have been able to pay these bills on the salary I make from my day job. Beyond that, this article by Greg Phelan is at least inaccurate and at worst willfully misleading. He says cryptos don't pay dividends. 
Proof-of-stake cryptocurrencies absolutely reward investors regularly for their staked capital. There are many businesses out there that'll pay you interest if you're willing to let them hold your Bitcoin, Celsius and BlockFi off the top of my head. But he says there's no argument that cash is better than crypto. But let me ask you, where is all this stimulus money coming from? This free money we keep getting from the IRS? Well, it's printed out of thin air. That means the dollars, the cash fiat dollars you've been saving for decades to retire are worth less every time the government prints dollars, which these days is all the time. This is known as inflation. I'm not making this up. Bitcoin specifically is built differently. It's mathematically programmed to have a fixed amount. There will never be more than 21 million Bitcoins, and not even when a Biden's magical above-the-law executive orders can change that. Bitcoin is deflationary. The US dollar is the opposite. It's inflationary. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist or an author of a wholly inaccurate and misleading article to figure out which is a safer investment vessel to store the value you've worked so hard to earn. He says it's risky, even likens investing in cryptocurrencies to gambling. If someone knows of an investment that doesn't have any risk, would you please let me know in the comments? Investing is risky. That's why you need to do your own research. Now, I'm not a financial advisor, nor do I profess to have all the answers, but cryptocurrencies have been very, very good to me, and I am determined to honor God with the money he's entrusted to me. Folks, there's a huge transfer of wealth going on right now, and it doesn't matter how old you are, whether you're black or white, male or female, it's the people who take the time to learn this who are reaping the benefits. I hold Bitcoin, Cardano, and Ergo. These are the coins I've found to be sound investments. Beyond that, there are two pieces of advice I'll give to anyone who'll listen. The first, if you're going to get into crypto, get yourself a hardware wallet. I use this one, the Trezor Model T. Order it from the manufacturer and not from a retailer like Amazon or eBay. Now this hardware wallet will allow you to have custody of your coins. This means you'll control them and not an exchange or a bank. I don't suggest buying your cryptocurrencies on services like Robinhood or the Cash App as they don't let you transfer your coins off their platforms. This means they have custody of your coins and if they get hacked, your coins are gonna be in jeopardy. Now when you set up a hardware wallet, it's gonna give you keywords that you need to secure and keep safe. In case your hardware wallet is destroyed, you can use these keywords to restore your hardware wallet. This is why it's so important to securely back up those keywords. I recommend using something like this, a Kobo Tablet Plus, and it's fine to get this one off of Amazon. It can withstand extreme conditions like a fire and still keep your keywords safe and secure. I recommend keeping this in a safe deposit box or at a location other than your home just in case someone shows up at your door and tries to rob you. All this may sound intimidating, and maybe it is, but it's not impossible to learn this, and I don't believe Christians need to avoid cryptocurrencies. Very much the opposite. I overwhelmingly endorse them as they've made this show possible, something I've wanted to do for a very long time. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's our show for you today. Don't forget to check out more B-Block for the unedited interview with Christian Student Fellowship wherever you watch Kingdom's Cornerstone News. 
Also, we publish the show on YouTube, Vimeo, Gab TV, and Odyssey, but we've already been censored by YouTube once, so the very best, most reliable source to watch Kingdom's Cornerstone News or more B-Blog is on our main website, kcn.thekey.com. Thanks again for watching Kingdom's Cornerstone News, everyone. We'll see you again next week.